But I think absolutely, if you if you look at all of these pieces and where it's all going and, and other things like this jewel action, I, I definitely think that this administration is gonna gonna continue to move forward on on Tesla. And frankly, they are the bad actor. Something needs to be done. And you know, enforcement work does at least if you enforce the rules that you have, right? And the and and exercise the powers that you have. That allows you to do something about the bad actor without having to rewrite the entire regulatory framework around them. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. As almost always, I'm Alex Roy, the Director of Special Operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent in this show, and the producer of Apex, The Secret Race Across America, and the Cannonball Run documentary, well, I'm not sure everyone was waiting for it, but some of you were. <laughs> and I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I also have actually found myself recently recommending Apex uh, to some folks. Uh, it's a really great movie. If you haven't seen it, um, uh, really an important part of the Alex Roy legend and just a, an entertaining film. So check that out. You are so sweet. Did that? Does that mean that you just received a check in the mail from Alex for that? <laughs> I'm sorry, who, who is this? <laughs> this is Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor with TechCrunch. Um, and yeah, besides that little piece of snark of taking payment to promote and shill for Alex's movie. <laughs> what do you wait a minute? I do also want to mention that I was on a um, off-grid vacation in a, a mobility-focused off-grid voca- um, vacation with, uh, with my Westie and went back and listened to the episode that you recorded without me and it's good to know that i'm so easily forgotten and replaced because you didn't even bother mentioning that i was even gone it was as if it was as if i had didn't exist so that's (laughs) the tone i'm bringing today you loom so large in our lives that in your absence it's best to um let your shadow speak for itself that's a question. It sounds like your absence. Your absence <laughs> speaks volumes on its on its own, and also like I think for for those of us, you know, when, when we don't have you in our lives, we just try and keep a brave face and carry on, and and like not dwell too much on the fact that you're not here because it hurts, Kirsten. It hurts. Uh, well, thanks for not blowing up the podcast while I was gone. Appreciate that, and it was a super interesting episode that um, that you recorded. So. That was good. It was it was a positive outcome with the one slight against me, and then that's fine. We'll oh, it's slight on. Why don't you, why don't you mm-hmm. dominate this episode as you deserve? <laughs> no, no need to dominate, but we do need to talk about a few things that happened in the. Um, I, I'm going to say not not just broadly in the mobility world, although there's a lot happening there, but in the um, AV world and the automated driving world slash advanced driver assistance systems that some of which contain automated driving features. So you're referring to the, uh, to the special general order crash data. I think that uh, it's released has been collecting since last August released. Kirsten, did you, you, that came out right before you went on vacation, right? Yeah. 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 So So, so, um, so you're around for that. Okay. For sure. And it's, it was, you know, a pretty big data dump. Um, you know, NHTSA um, put, pushed out all this data. I think it was on the 15th or so of June, so mid-June. 
And um, all the data that was released was collected under the federal regulators standing general order, which was issued a year ago. Um, and, and for people who are unfamiliar, um, this was requiring automakers to report the most serious crashes that involved level two ADAS, um, as well as operators of um, autonomous vehicles. Um, so it was kind of like two categories that, that was my understanding. Um, Ed, I'm sure you can correct me if, um, you think I'm wrong on that one. No, 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 no correction. Uh, there were two separate, uh, data files that were, were the, the raw data was released in two separate files. Um, one for ADAS, one for ADS or, or automated driving system. So yeah, right. you're, you're on point. Yep. Um, and of course, much of the coverage really focused on Tesla topping the ADAS list for, um, you know. 273 reported crashes, three with serious injuries, five deaths. Um, and, you know, Mark Harris wrote the story for us. And one of the things that we felt like it was really important to clarify, and it doesn't in any way dilute the seriousness of Tesla's results. No. However, we also did discuss that there are some real serious issues with the data, how it's collected the limitations of many automakers to even collect specific data. So, you know, really, this is to me a very, very first step. But if we really want clarity um, and of what is happening across the industry, we need better means of data collection and, and, and be more specific. Um, that's my view of of where to go from. Alex, yeah. I want to, I, I, so I have a lot of thoughts of this. I actually did a two hour. I know you do. Right. Right. When the data, when the data dropped um, over on my YouTube channel, uh, which you can find by searching for merge now on, on YouTube. But um, Alex, oh. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Cause I, we have, uh, it's really funny because I listened to this. you talk about it in order to, before I talked about it on Matt Ferris podcast, but it was very brief. You know, um, we've, we've all given Tesla a lot of grief for, um, <laughs> some amusing omissions in the data they share while making safety claims. Um, but this is an interesting one because uh, uh, Brad Templeton wrote a blog uh, summing up some things I was thinking about, you know, Tesla has the ability to get really great data off their cars if they want to. And it's just baked into the cars because they're, they're all connected and they have, you know, <laughs> and they just can't. A lot of OEMs don't have that capability. And so here we have um, a data dump that doesn't have a great framing device to really give context to any of this data. And so um, I don't think that – I don't know how helpful this was yet, but I could see future versions of these data dumps with real context being very valuable. Um, the thing that I found super frustrating is the – I mean oh, – what is this whole show about? People confusing driver assistance for autonomous capability. And so many headlines around this data dump refer to things like, the problem with self-driving cars is they're not very self-driving, and here's the data dump to prove it. Like, this does not prove or disprove that ADAS or self-driving have inherent flaws. And it does show that if you have context, you can begin to understand which companies are taking a more responsible approach and who is not? Quibble. 
Okay, so yeah. really quick here, I'm going to quibble a little bit. So I, the the headline you're referring to there uh-huh. was a, was an opinion that a, opinion piece. I actually happen to have it pulled up right now um, uh-huh. in preparation for this show because I wanted to discuss it a little bit as well. Um, it, it, by the it's the Washington Post editorial board. So this is not you know a news story, right? This is an opinion piece. Um, and, you know, it's funny because that's sort of one of the patterns that we're seeing as a former, you know, I, I, throughout my career, I've probably written more stuff for opinion sections for various outlets or as much anyway, as, as I've done sort of hard news reporting, um, if not more actually, probably. And, um, actually, so, so a lot of people in the industry had this precise concern that you just voiced going into this. Like I heard it from everyone that like, oh, they're just going to dump this data and that, and that the lack of context and, and absolutely like the data was not. The data were not super clear, right? I, unambiguous. There were the collection issues that Kirsten referred to. And there was sort of a lack of, of context and presentation, I think, on, on Nitsa's part. Um, um, but as you said, like, good good first step. But but I think, like, to me, one of the most important things about this whole thing was that at least on the news side, and we can discuss the opinion piece later, uh, you know, more, but, like, on the news side, I thought – there's, I thought it showed – the media did a really good job of covering it, and I think it shows how much progress has been made um, on the part of the reporters. Again, not necessarily opinion board folks um, who have to kind of you know write about a lot of things in their defense, um, although that's not an excuse. Um, and, and I actually think and, – and this is just my take, but um, I think that Liza Dixon's – like as, t- as more time goes on, I feel like Liza Dixon's a ton of washing paper um, – really stands out as kind of a, 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 a watershed moment in that it really, I think, crystallized this problem that you're referring to and really motivated a lot of reporters to really kind of step up their game and get this right. And frankly, I think, you know, again, like this was not perfect. As you said, Alex, it was, it was a good first step and there's a lot of improvement to be made. Um, but I think in general, like the media – did a pretty amazingly good job at, at mostly getting this right. Right. So like referencing, as Kirsten said, the, the shortcomings of the data while still pointing out, you know, that, you know, there's differences. And I, and I think that like the differences in the ADAS, like not just the fact that they, that they were the ADAS data and the ADS data were released separately, but, but the differences in that data, for example, the fact that the ADAS was mostly involved in frontal crashes, meaning those vehicles are crashing into other vehicles while the ADS vehicles are being crashed into more, and they're more seeing damage in the back of the vehicles. Stuff like that, I think, was a re- also a really good step in in actually in, in making some progress on this problem, which a lot of people in the industry worry about, but there haven't been a lot of great ideas for how to really move the ball forward. And I think that this data release, and it's going to be updated every month, is going to really help people start to understand, oh, we're talking about two totally different things here. Because I think for just a normal consumer, that's not always obvious. And so I, to me... I. I see this as like a really good step forward, not perfect, but, but a good step forward. So I, when this data came out, I wouldn't disagree with you. I thought that I saw less problematic, like headlines. I, um, obviously as an editor over at TechCrunch, I am aware of what like other competitors are doing, although we like to spend most of our time focused on our own efforts. So I didn't do a deep, you know, expansive search on the interwebs to see every single possible take on this. But um, in general, I would say that's happening in part because I think that there have been a number of reporters that have been doing this um, for a while now. 
So there's like a handful of reporters at some major publications that I've been focused on. Um, uh, ADAS and um, automated or autonomous vehicle technology. And, you know, also a number of people writing about Tesla on um, who have had to then help the reader understand what it is that their systems actually are. And so as a result, we have a larger group of people. Eliza uh, Dixon's um, paper obviously was is a big piece of that. Um, and just generally like conversations from me, Ed, Alex, other people in the industry of just like, we talk to the people who are writing these stories, right? So there's a lot of that, that that's happening as well. The one thing I wanted to note was that what I hope doesn't happen is what happened with the disengagement reports. Um, and it felt very reminiscent of that. And I think it really, it comes down to how specific does the federal government want to get into dictating the, like how the data is um, collected, communicated, um, are there going to require automakers to be more aggressive and proactive in terms of having in-car tech that can actually capture this data? Because it, 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 is, it hurts the industry and safety advocate you know, causes when we have an unclear view of actually how big a potential issue is when, you know, most of the players aren't even able to collect that data. To me, that seems like the biggest issue that we have to solve. Um, and I don't know if that means government in intervention or just the industry coming together and saying, okay, we're going to do this now. So NHTSA has already taken the first step on this. Um, and it, again, it's, you know, and I think, I think it's important to yeah keep in context that, that this is a, is going to be a, an evolving process, right? NHTSA is, is uh, they're increasing their, 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 or they've announced that they're looking at um, uh, changing their EDR rules. So EDR is an event data recorder. Um, and they're, they're changing those regulations um, uh, to expand the, the recording period. Um, so uh, initially, or uh, currently under the current rules, EDRs um, only record for five seconds, only record five seconds of pre-crash data. And they want to expand that to 20 seconds. And if you recall, one of, one of the important things about this, about this, and one of the things I think NHTSA did right in this data collection um, about ADAS, particularly um, because of the human-machine interaction issues, is they they asked for uh, data on crashes where a level two system was active within 30 seconds. So, so maybe 30 seconds was a little long, and and the EDR rules going to 20 seconds. Maybe that's closer to to what they really need. But just for comparison. Um, uh, Tesla's safety report is something like five seconds. Um, uh, you know, so so it's only active. So so Tesla really limits you know the number of crashes that are in their in their quote unquote safety report by only going to to, to, to five seconds. So if EDRs go to twenty seconds, you know, I don't. There's not a mandate for 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 EDRs in every car, but I think it's something that the industry is generally moving towards. And I think putting that to twenty seconds will put. You know, they won't have the remote, so the other OEMs won't necessarily have that remote ability to instantly pull the data off the vehicle. But when there is a crash, we will have data from 20 seconds prior to that crash um, from all companies that are complying with this rule change, assuming it goes through. 
Quick question for you. How many, how many automakers right now are really able to capture that, that the data that is necessary to truly determine you know, or give insight, I should say, into these vehicle crashes? So I don't know. Um, I don't know how, what, what number of production vehicles or like what percentage of, of production vehicles have EDRs. I do know in Reuters story about this, um, this rule change, uh, it notes that Honda is voluntarily collecting EDR data on the status and operation of advanced driver systems, uh, driver assistance systems. So that may explain why Honda had one of the the higher numbers in there. So as you say, like there are absolutely some collection issues. That's one of the biggest things here. There's, there's also an issue with, you know, a, a denominator. So like crashes per mile, we don't, we don't have that, which I think is an important piece of it. Although even that is only, it's a crude metric as well. So, you know, I don't think we're ever going to have perfect data on this, but uh, on these issues, but I think, you know, there's definitely steps being made towards towards more even collection. And I think I think NHTSA really needs to make that piece of this a priority, right? Just like how do you create a level playing field just on the collection side? Forget the rest of it. Right, because that right now what I what, what I feel like this does is it provides firepower to supporters of Tesla to, to be like, well, look though, Tesla's the only one who can actually capture this. So if if other automakers were able to do what Tesla was able to do then we would have a very different story here. And unfortunately, it's hard to argue against that too much because of, because of that lack of data. So I just think it's like imperative to focus on that piece. Um, there are other issues, obviously, but it, it's, it's, it's too easy for companies like Tesla um, or specifically Tesla to try and skirt around their clear issues um, because of this lack of of uh, ability within the rest of the industry to capture data. I don't necessarily believe or think that based on what we know that the outcome would be necessarily different in terms of Tesla leading the pack and as far as <laughs> crashes related to their ADAS system. Um, but I do think that it would a provide hell of a lot more clarity, but also just completely dilute any ar- counter arguments that it's unfair or that other companies really have more or, you know, it just would end all of that. And then we could really focus on what is actually going on and what, what should we be doing with these ADAS systems to make them, um, better functioning, keep people more involved in the loop, you know, then we can address the real issue. If only, (laughs) if only, I mean, Ed, you and I have been talking about this for like seven years, seven years. (laughs) Like, I mean, like uh, the, the, the foundational principle of driver assistance, um, in any car that you could buy today is still, relatively primitive and these multiple siloed functionalities automatic emergency braking lane keeping assistance radar cruise control cruise control all siloed put in a car and they're not like from a basic standpoint they're not even really designed to be understood in a holistic manner and compared to each other they're just not and at some point in the future the stuff that we've been talking about in this show or at least it's my my crazy man agenda about augmented driving and some method of 
teaching people to drive their cars while they drive, as opposed to letting them keep, you know, backstopping onto these uh, assistance systems, hoping they make you safer. That that has to change. And I actually, I think there's a a, um, a, a wonderful byproduct of autonomous vehicle development is still coming, and it's something no one talks about. Driver assistance in the future or augmentation, which I, I guess I call parallel automation, the way Airbus does it in planes, someday driver assistance will become awesome, but only after autonomous vehicle developers have created a, a, a virtual world, call it like an autoniverse of HD map data and the, with the ability to pull in real-time data from like weather and traffic and then port that back to driver assistance systems such that they can augment driver um, driver drivers um, while maintaining the, the freedom to drive a car. There's, there's some convergence coming, but it's after autonomous vehicle developers deploy at scale successfully. And then there'll be all the technologies that dribble from that back to assistance. I don't think companies just working on driver assistance or buying ADAS things off the shelf and putting them in cars can ever – ever get to where they want to go until the AV developers have gotten where they want to go. Why does it require AV developers for that to happen? Why wouldn't the automotive I mean, industry working with what automotive auto- suppliers be able to, to do what you what basically sounds to me? Wait one second. What basically sounds to me like having real time mapping and vehicle to infrastructure, vehicle to vehicle communication so- Within production vehicles, like why does why do AV developers need? To Here's be a, a guess: an AV de- developer that has a system that works inside a um, an, o- an ODD a domain, and that whose domain is now expanded sufficiently widely that someone who buys a private a, a passenger car lives inside that same domain would like to have assistance that's substantially better that could rely on the mountain of data, of high-definition map data that an AV developer has gathered that a an ADAS vendor has not gathered, well, I know which one of those data sets I'd want to use. Just speculating. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's, a, it's an interesting idea. I mean, you know, wh- one of the things I think that, that we, you know, you have to keep you know, in mind in the context of, of this data coming out, right? So one of the big questions, like why, why is NHTSA releasing these data set after less than a year of collection? Like that's a pretty unusual thing. The collection itself is unusual. This, this release of less than a year worth of data seems unusual. And one of the things that it was time for, so a week before was um, they closed the comments on, it was a comment period on sort of proposed uh, updates to NCAP rules. Um, and it's looking like, you know, there there's going to be some you know higher higher standards for for some of that testing, um, and so I think you know you think about pedestrian AEB, think about pedestrian AEB in low lights. Certainly, lidar, you know, is something that you know there's there's the cutting edge of that technology is mostly in the AV sector, um, but also you know because the AV sector has been developing a little slower than than hoped or, or expected. Um, you know it, the the cost curve. I I think on lidar is not bending quite as fast as as you would hope. Certainly not through economies of scale. And if you know, for example, you need to score really well 
on a low-light pedestrian AEB test in order to get a five-star NCAP rating, that might really incentivize putting LiDAR, at least on premium cars, um, or maybe thermal. Um, but I think there's there's you know arguments for 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 one or both of those, um, and and that in turn might create the volume that helps lower the cost to to you know for for, for lidar generally, which helps everyone, right? It helps ADAS and it helps and it helps uh, the ADS sector as well. So I think I think there's like there's some definite I think both sides have have sort of things to contribute to each other, and I think that you know probably going to see the two develop in parallel. Um, do you think that as a result of um, not just this data dump, but that it's signaling an intent within the administration right now to more closely reg- or to regulate instead of having these volunteer guidelines, um, ADAS and autonomous vehicles? Or is this really just going to be um, the same sort of trajectory we've been moving in, including in previous administrations, which is to still have this to be a kind of the self-reported voluntary guideline framework and that there won't be any uh, like regulations coming down, not just in terms of how things are reported, but specifically kind of that certain tech has to be, you know, in, in passenger vehicles specifically. I mean, Alex, do you have thoughts on, on, on the regulatory agenda of this administration? I'm guessing you're going to have to be All careful. Right. Of on course this you should handle it. I'll you know, let, me, let me handle this one. I don't work in policy. Um, the right amount of regulation is the right amount of regulation. Um, all I've ever said about any of this, and I said it before I joined Argo, uh, it's, <laughs> It would be a shame if regulation was driven by the behaviors of the worst actors that then imposed unrealistic or, um, you know, um, <laughs> boundaries which did all the restrictive upon the good actors. Um, Overly restrictive. restrictive. I mean, things that would be uh, an un, a non-harmonious balance between innovation and actually getting to market. Uh, you know, I... I wish there was some kind of Hippocratic oath for technological development. Um, you know, I I was just watching the Super Pumped show about uh, Uber, and um, not entirely sure that that was Hippocratic oath even considered over there at the time around just what they were doing. Um, and you know, but go on, Ed. Let's hear what you have to say. Well, yeah, no, no I mean, well, wait, 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 you were onto something there. So, so what is, can you make a connection? We're, we're all human animals, uh, whether we work in private, this private sector or in government. And when some, a bad actor like gets in the face of, of a regulator or um, vice versa, you can sometimes people will behave irrationally. And, you know, you could see what happened in the super pumped show, like the gray ball project. to like literally, you know, make it impossible for city officials to know or understand what um, Uber was doing. That was a, that's, that wasn't the best, and you could see as a result what happened afterwards. The city of San Francisco became very serious about looking at any mobility company that entered the city, whether they were doing vehicles or not, autonomy, scooters, whatever it was. And now the memory, the institutional memory of what 
um, Uber did there is carried over to many other cities and, you know, and the state and at federal level and internationally. And so it's, a, it's you know, all boats rise when, when the right thing is done, but all boats can sink when a bad actor does something really bad. And if it, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, yeah, like I, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, this, that's, that's one of the huge risks of all this. In fact, there's, you know, people, you know, privately in, in the industry have, have theorized for years that the Tesla has been maybe even trying to trigger a regulatory crackdown because they know they can't really compete in this technology. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a little conspiratorial, but, but I, I see why people, why people believe it. And the reality is, is that as a regulator, you know, I mean, look, like Tesla has broken the regulatory system, right? You, you, you we built the regulatory system on top of this J3016, uh, you know, framework for, 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 you know, the levels of, of driving automation. And, and frankly, Tesla, you know, we are in a situation be- because of that, where Tesla can tell its customers that a system is, is self-driving, full self-driving, uh, while telling the regulators that it's level two. And, and it kind of just breaks the system. And, and, and so I think something does need to be done about it, but you're absolutely right. I think, you know, this is a brutally hard regulate, you know, it, it, you know, technology to regulate, um, and I think, but I think I, I, I'm optimistic. A, a, yes, I think to answer Kirsten's question, I do think that this this administration is going to be a lot more engaged on this, uh, or this regulating in you know, broad in the broadest sense. I think it, it, you're absolutely going to see more. And so one piece is that is the NCAP rule uh, uh, update that that we just discussed. Um, one is this is the data. And and Kirsten, you know, your comparison of this to the 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 disengagement, the California disengagement report is a really good one. But I think just like that, as problematic as, as those disengagement reports are, it's also the only data point. And so people have no choice, but to almost to overinterpret it. And so I think, you know, the answer to that, when you only have a, a couple of data points or, or one or two data points and, and each one is imperfect, is the answer to just say, well, just ignore the data points that we have. No, like we want to move towards more data, more and better data. And that's the sort of continue to improve this, this reporting and transparency measure. But I think the third piece of, of what's happening at the federal level is absolutely, I think, I think this is, these, all of these things are part of a broader effort that includes, you know, a, a crackdown on, on Tesla. And frankly, I mean, and maybe I'm overinterpreting this because it kind of hits me in uh uh, frankly, a physical dependency, but like just the, <laughs> the, the, the ban on, on jewel sales, you know, and it's a totally different technology and area, but you know, that, that was no. And it's interesting to look at that. The Biden administration banned, they did a stop sale on jewels, which have been for sale for years. Right. And they didn't do it because they had hard evidence that there was an immediate threat you know, to the hells of, of, of users of this, uh, of these products, but because the company wasn't sharing enough data about mm. the safety for them to, to, to be able to make a real determination about that. And I think that's very comparable to some of the issues they have with Tesla. I think, you know, requiring this data reporting was step one in addressing that. But I think absolutely, if you, if you look at all of these pieces and where it's all going and, and other things like this jewel action, I, I definitely think that, that, this administration is going to going to continue to move forward on on Tesla, and frankly, they are the bad actor. Something needs to be done, and you know, enforcement work does at least if you enforce the rules that you have, right? And the and and exercise the powers that you have that allows you to do something about the bad actor without having to rewrite the entire regulatory framework around them. Which, to your point, Alex, I think is is kind of 
you know, what you want. I think that's where that middle ground is here. Um, so the, the last thing I want to say too, just cause I, I, I shouted out the media earlier and, and again, they have really done a great job. I think the one other thing before we move on to another topic and, and there's some interesting other regulatory stuff in the news I know as well. Um, but I do want to say, I think, you know, there's still a lot of good stuff in that, in that SGO data set, like just that first one, and we're going to get more data every single month, but like one example Right. And, 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 you know, NHTSA told everyone, like, don't don't try and use this as a high level way to compare these systems. And they were absolutely right. You shouldn't do that. So what's the alternative? Right. The alternative is if you go into the data and you look for other problematic things on a more micro level. And so just one example of something that Mahmoud Hikmet and I found with the help of, of one of the, the viewers of our live stream who, who suggested it, uh, looking into it, was that just in so from August of last year, well, and actually, I think there's some older crashes in there. So I should be, let's just say in the Tesla data that was submitted in this initial round of SGO data, um, there were 29 crashes uh, involving uh, autopilot or FSD, right, uh, involving a level two uh, ADAS, where the last known action of the vehicle prior to the crash was departure from the lane or road. 29 of them. Uh, it's something like, 10% or something. Don't, don't quote me on the percentage, but it's like a significant percentage of them. And I think things like that, right. Where you, where you start to understand like, how are these systems screwing up? I think that from an, certainly from an enforcement action approach, right. Elon Musk has framed safety around this technology as being purely a question of crashes per mile. Like, but that's not how auto safety regulation works. You don't just sit there and wait until the number of crashes per million miles or whatever goes above a certain level. And then you say, oh, well, there must be a problem now because it's crossed this magical threshold. No, you look for specific problems that are that are happening, defects, right? And I think, and I'm not saying that there's a specific defect that I know about that, that's causing these vehicles to run off the, the road, but I think that's one data point that uh, of many in this that, that suggests there are some real problems that could inform uh, uh, some enforcement actions down the road. So, so I think that my, our friends in the media should should continue to dig into this data. You know, bring in outside help if if you don't have um, the the folks on staff to to really you know run all the analysis and this stuff uh, in this kind of data set because there's there's a lot of good stuff still hidden in there and um, some great stories waiting to be told in there. So, I have a small prediction, and and I predict that every other automaker is going to drag its feet in terms of its figurative feet, if you will, in terms of sharing the same level of data that Tesla does right now. Um, and the reason is because it's not that I think that, that, that it will necessarily show anything specifically alarming. I mean, it might, but there is more than just the enforcement issue. Um, that data is like catnip for litigators and can really open the door to lawsuits and things like that. Now, some of that data might, like, let's say, uh, if the lawsuit was filed, uh, come out in, in discovery. But this doesn't require any legal action to access that data. And so not just the media, but um, and not just federal regulators, but also state, local regulators, as well as um, lawyers can now access that data and look for that problematic minutia data that you just referenced, Ed. And that can lead to class actions or that could lead, for example, the state of California to suddenly tighten 
you know, certain things against take action against Tesla or any other automaker. And so I just don't see other automakers like welcoming that in a way. I mean, maybe that's very cynical, but I just don't see that they're going to be like, please let me, I think that they're going to backpedal a lot. And I think that they're going to drag their feet a lot about like having the capability to share that data. They're going to share the bare minimum. So everyone other than Tesla talks all the time, basically about the need to build public trust in this technology, mostly on the ADS side. I mean, it's hard to be too anti-transparency if you want to build public trust. Like they go hand in hand. What is Uh, limiting them from being able to do this right now on a technological level? Uh, well, I mean, I think, you know, there's a, it's a, there's a business case we made, right? You have to, you have to build infrastructure and you have to add technology and, and for, for a small premium automaker, that's much easier, right? Like Tesla's been, they've, they've built it from the ground up that way. And, um, but, but I think, you know, I think one of, and in here, you know, the historical context for Tesla is, is fascinating because Tesla is actually be, by, because it's, it's different in, in certain important ways from other automakers, it's actually been able to evade regulations much more easily. So like I've, I've done a bunch of reporting about how it's sort of done stealth recalls, evading like the Tread Act, and even just the, the National Highway, uh, whatever, the, the, the Safety Act, whatever it's called, um, because it owns, it doesn't have dealerships, right? So it owns all its own retail. So it can kind of do these, take these stealthy actions without recalling, without doing a, a formal recall and stuff. And, and so like Tesla's uniqueness thus far has been a strength in terms of regulatory compliance or evasion, if you want to, to, to put it that way. I mean, I think pretty clearly it's it's evaded a lot of regulations very successfully. And now NHTSA has turned that on its head and said, well, you, you've got this unique characteristics. Also, by the way, you know, it's pretty clear Tesla's where the problem is, um, if only in terms of its attitude towards the regulator, um, but, but on a number of fronts as well, right? Like the fact that it hasn't responded to NTSB recommendations for three years now or more, right? A lot of these things. Yeah, so, and, so, and, and so, so if Tesla has the unique ability to report that, like, you know, they've had an unfair advantage in these other regulatory realms. If, if the tables are turned a little bit, like, uh, it's kind of how I feel about it. That doesn't, that's not very helpful because the, the issue is, isn't me noting or making this like small prediction isn't, shouldn't be taken layered together as some sort of condoning of what Tesla does. Like Tesla is hugely problematic. That stands alone. My issue is, is that until other automakers do this, while it might not show anything alarming, I just don't see them being very motivated to do that. And I could see them doing the bare minimum unless federal federal government steps in and says, you need to be able to have the same capability. I don't see that happening by the way, but, um, automakers are going to say, look, we share all this data and great. And I think it would help them if they built out this capability. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not to give Tesla a break at all. I'm kind of treating these as separate things. Um, no, I agree. It's more, it's more that I just don't, I think, you know, Tesla always has an excuse, no matter what, no matter how like crummy its behavior is and how blatantly it's, it's doing 
something that it shouldn't be doing. And there's always an excuse. So it's more that I just don't want to like give that, 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 that excuse credence, but you're absolutely right. And again, I think, you know, the EDR thing, right. You don't need to have a, a remote access, right. If, if the vehicle is recording EDR data, for 20 seconds and, and and all or most vehicles on the road have that that EDR. And again, I don't, I need to look into what percentage of vehicles do. Um, but like that's one step. And frankly, I think one of the other steps, one of the things that shocked me about the data was how few of those reports came from law enforcement or first responders. And I think that NHTSA could really develop some independent data collection capabilities that would help address this issue by not just training but like maybe creating some tools that make it easier for first responders of all kinds to both collect and report this data, uh, these data to to NHTSA. So I think that's one thing where then, because I think right, depending on the automakers or, or developers themselves is fundamentally problematic because as you say, it incentivizes them just to not collect the, the data. If you have the data and you, you know, if you have to report any data that you have, you're right, it incentivizes you not to even collect it. And so I think you have to work on that and they're doing that with the EDR rule. And, but I think, there are other steps that that have to be made as well um, to to, it, to, it, to, to me, it was, we'll get there. I, I, I don't. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see. Um, I, I find it interesting, too, that there is this lack of of technological ability, particularly since I am the you know recipient of literally hundreds of emails over the past four or five years from every automaker, from the tiniest, including te- Tesla to the largest talking about their connected car um, technologies and the capabilities that they have. And this to me seems like a big giant, obviously issue, which they, they maybe don't, or maybe overstate um, what their capabilities are. And um, it just shows, and it's a good reminder to media in general that like getting very jargony, markety releases about your new platform, your new EV platform, and how it's going to have um, XYZ, and it's going to have all this capability, and it's going to have connected car technology, and it's going to be able to do all these things in OTAs. Um, they're just leaning on language. No and way! There's maybe no like a lot way. of factual capability there. If you want to build trust and you want to prove that your systems are safe, you should be welcoming these data, you know, this 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 transparency because this is how you do it. This is how you prove that that your system is safe, right? And and I think, you know, at least a lot of players do believe that it is important to to build that trust. And so hopefully they they live up to that that principle and 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 are proactive in in that. I also will say and and I want to step on any, any toes here, but uh, I, I think there's reason to believe having not, having taken a look at some of these some of these data and, and done a little bit of digging around. I think I'm not convinced that that Tesla is actually reporting everything exactly the way they should, and, and maybe we'll see some some real reporting on that. But but that's all I'll say about that. For now. Yeah, I mean, I I expect that the more data that comes out, that Tesla will be shown as one probably not, um, you know, reporting as they should, but I think that it's not going to be limited just to them. Yeah. Meanwhile, California, also on the regulatory front, um, they kind of made a little bit of a, a a regulatory, had a regulatory issue in that they, they kind of didn't see this whole autonomous truck thing coming. And there's a bunch of companies in California that would love to be able to test trucks and, and they just don't have rules around that. And, and, uh, you guys at, at TechCrunch, Rebecca Bellin, um, one of your reporters, 
uh, wrote about that. Um, that's kind of an interesting situation. Kind of shows the how hard it is to like, right? I mean, like this technology changes all the time. Just even including like what use cases are going to be, you know, the focus and and you know, as trucks have come into the into the the near term, you know, focus for for the sector for a lot of companies in the sector. Uh, California's a little flat-footed on this, even though they were early on regulation. Kind of interesting situation. It, it well, so the, the letter was sent, and it has numerous signatories. And yes, Rebecca, one of the reporters at TechCrunch, covered it. Um, and it's a letter to you know uh, Governor Newsom, but also you know obviously other lawmakers. And to me, what I thought was interesting about it is not just your comment, which is accurate, but you know we've seen all this activity happening in Texas. But this is a reminder for all the chatter that we see about how everyone's moving out of California, that these companies still value California as a very important proving ground, a place for talent, a place to be located. And I would even suggest that if California were perhaps easier to operate in and a little bit more forward thinking on the regulatory front, that you would still see activity in Texas because of logistics, but I don't think you would see that same level of activity. I mean, I think I mean, that's right. just, I, you know, and especially, you know, you saw this big movement over to Texas um, and a couple of others specifically around trucking. So Arizona, and it makes a lot of sense. The so I 10, but a key piece of interstate 10 is LA and the port of LA port of Los Angeles. And if you really want to unlock sort of <laughs> the economics of autonomous trucking, you go to the ports, uh, you need to be able to operate in those. So to me, California is still hugely important. And I think maybe some of us just jumped on the like, everyone's leaving California. AVs are all out of a California now wagon a little bit too soon. Um, that doesn't mean it won't continue to happen because of the regulatory environment. And just, it, it just, to me, illustrates that in the view of these companies, this state, that state is really still very important. Alex, any thoughts on, on, on California? No, lack I of have no opinions rules, of any industry kind. Pressure to kind of get some finally. <laughs> Absolutely nothing to add to that. <laughs> okay. You're so very quiet. I'm not wading into that one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it's, it, I mean, I think, you know, I think it's been an interesting conversation because I think we've touched on a number of areas that that kind of illustrate that, like, you know, this technology requires a lot of nuance with regard to regulation in specific. Uh, right. Like, like, yeah, you don't want a Wild West. Yeah. You you give someone like Elon Musk and Tesla, you know, the the opportunity to kind of break your entire system and they will take it and 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 break your regulatory framework. Uh as they have pretty clearly. On the other hand, you know, if you move too early and 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 put too many rules in early, you potentially risk, you know, kind of missing the forest for the trees, which is a little bit what California's done here. And I guess one of my concerns with all this is that, you know, anytime there's policy and and regulation stuff on the table, you know, at least to some extent, if not the general public, then like some kind of stakeholder, you know, there needs to be a, a some level of public conversation, right? Even if it's not with Joe Q public, it's, it's, you know, with stakeholders and interest groups and things like that, there, there needs to be this, this conversation. And unfortunately our public conversations have not been very good at capturing nuance in a lot of different fields lately. Um, and so I'm a little bit concerned that, 
that around AV regulation, as the pressure builds and and as you know, I think there there's some movement towards taking steps on on regulation that that this nuance might get a little bit lost. But I think um, you know, to me, the the thing that kind of cuts through a lot of a lot of that nuance is just you know uh, collecting and reporting publicly you know, data about what these systems are really doing, what their performance is really like. Um, it, it's imperfect, but I think that transparency is in the regulator, regulator's interest, it's in the company's interest, and it's in the public's interest. And and the more of that data that we have out there, the more data-driven our public conversation about what sort of future regulation should look like will be. And so to me, I think like, given that we're so early still on this technology, I think, you know, kind of building on this SGL reporting and others, and, and just kind of trying to build transparency around this technology is going to be a really important step. And I don't think anyone really has a great, you know, leg to stand on to, to argue against more transparency. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, I'm sure that they will try. But um, I do, I do like the fact that we came on the show with the intent of talking about like numerous things. And this became a data regulation episode, which, which is great. Um, and we'll just have to tackle. That's not my fault. <laughs> We'll, we'll have we'll to just... tackle the other. We'll have to tackle the other subjects, which are related to, you know, um, I would say autonomous vehicle industry and what's happening there, on another on another episode. If if we're okay with just wrapping it here, yeah. I think Wait, so. oh, Kristen, we well, hold on. See how I'm being replaced, Kirsten. Oh my god, you. You can't even get my fucking name right. Kirsten. Who, Kirsten. who are See you again? How do, how do we know you? Was there something you wanted to talk about or say before we wrap this episode? No, no, not at all. I'm just saying it's, I always find it interesting and kind of funny that we have big plans and then we go down a certain rabbit hole. And that's the nice thing about the Atonicast is that it was going to be. I, like, didn't, I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole. Oh, well. Uh, it's an important one, guys. I mean, this is we're a little late to it. It's it's it was you know, but I think it's a it's a really important topic. So I'm I for one am glad we discussed it. Yeah, me too. And we'll just have to get together and record more. Yeah, I think that the takeaway here is that Alex's opinion doesn't really matter unless he's going to share more. And um, since he uh, can, I, I have one opinion. Okay. Can I share one yes. opinion? You know how I've been saying for years that M and A activity in the mobility sector will accelerate. It's really going to accelerate soon, and that's a good thing because a lot of companies in this sector should be partnered or hoovered up by other companies in this sector so we can actually make a dent in real mobility issues. Um, and I'll just leave it right there. I'll leave it right there. That's a that's a great place to to end. Uh, hopefully, we'll you know get some get some news and uh, well, actually, we'll discuss wait, before that. We get, actually, I want to talk about that at length in another episode, but I have something very important to tell you. Yeah. Did you know that Dune Part 2, that Christopher Walken is playing the Emperor? Boom. That's where we're ending a ton of cast right there. Goodbye. What? All right. That's all you need. I did not On know that. On that bombshell. On that bombshell. Goodbye, my friends. And goodbye, Kirsten Van Korosek. <laughs> uh, and thank you to our listeners for uh, tuning in for another episode of the Atonicast. <laughs>